So glad to be with you uh, this morning. Um, I know that can't really be with each other, but uh, glad to be here uh, nonetheless. Um, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it, that we're constantly uh, needing to change what we're doing and, uh, and how we're meeting and where we're meeting, but technology provides us gr- this great opportunity. Uh, so we're starting a sermon series called, um, called Remodel. And basically the, the, um, the illustration is a blueprint. And it's, it's looking at a different house. And many of you, have, you've, as you've sat in your house or your apartment, if you could do something different and you had the money and resources or you own the property, you would say, yes, I would love to, I would love to be able to, to do something different in this place. Well, we have the opportunity now to be inside for four more weeks in lockdown, which in one sense is a great big challenge, but in another sense, it's a great opportunity to be able to... Um, to lean into who God is and what he's done and what he wants to be doing inside of us. So I'm going to pray for us and, uh, and then get going. Lord, would you overwhelm us with your presence right now? We so often forget that you are everywhere and you are in all things and that you are in living rooms and in bathrooms and in bedrooms and on the metro and in this place where we're recording this. So thank you so much that you're here, that you are with us, that you are active, that you are moving and that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. No virus will prevail against you. Uh, nothing is going to uh, outwin you. And so we thank you for that. We love you and need you. Amen. Jesus said something very profound. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and yet we forget that, don't, worry, don't we? Or we think, that, um, we think that that's mostly true, but that we have a lot to bring to the table and that we have a lot to add. But do you feel those words? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you feel that? And if you don't feel it, what is it that's going to wake you up to feel that? Because if you're like me, I feel it a lot. I feel like I can't do anything that I want to do right now. Almost anything that I put on a to-do list, unless it involves technology, which even that messes up a lot of the time, uh, isn't going to get done. And so what we're looking at today is really our, our only weapon, our only option, and that's prayer. I've gone to India several times now, uh, five or six or seven, I don't even remember. But every time going there, I sit down with church planners, pastors. And some of these guys, if they lived in our environments, would be speaking at massive conferences because half their villages are becoming followers of Jesus. And when I ask them, what's your strategy? They tell me, sir, it's prayer and fasting. I said, I'm younger than you, don't call me sir. But what's your strategy? And they said, prayer and fasting. I said, no, no, I, I get that. But like, really, what's your strategy? They said, that's it. We pray and we fast for God to do things. And God rescues massive amounts of people in India who can't read, who can't speak. The reason why I go to India is because a lot of them can't read theological books that we have the privilege to be overwhelmed. We're in an office right now and I'm looking and there's shelves full of theological books that are not accessible to people in India, but yet they're seeing revival. They're seeing tons of people coming to meet Jesus. And yet we have all the resources, don't we? We have all the degrees, don't we? We're, we're a little bit smarter, aren't we? And yet they're the ones that are seeing the Spirit of God break through in ways and, and places that the gospel has never actually broken into villages before. Now, I want to invite you not to check out. 
Because we're going to talk about prayer. You can say, yeah, I know about prayer. I have a little prayer time in the morning that I do, or I say my prayers before I go to bed, or like I have a little book that I'm doing. Don't check out, because I think what the Lord wants to do is he's, he's wooing us deeper. Great, you've heard lots of sermons on prayer. You've read lots of books on prayer. Great. I think the Lord wants to bring us deeper. I think of like a mining shaft where you're like, yeah, I've gone in a ma- mining shaft. And the Lord is like, no, there are, but there are diamonds down here. You got to like move through all the cobwebs and, and scrape your way through and, and move through your little torch to get to the place where all the goods really are. And I think that's what the Lord wants to do with us as a church during this sermon and during this series. The rabbit hole keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. And the Lord has more for those who are willing to dig, for those who are ready to get their hands dirty with him because we want you. We don't want to check off prayer as something we did. But we want to be engaged with you, Jesus. George Herbert said, prayer is the soul's blood. Prayer is the soul's blood. And we rarely think about blood, do we? I I don't. The only time I think about blood is when it's coming out and I want it to stop. Um, Or when we find out that we might need a blood transfusion. Uh, My dad has a sickness where he had to get a few blood transfusions. And when he got new blood put into him, it was like he was a whole new person. But we rarely think about blood. But right now, here's the deal. All around us in this city, people are bleeding out. Just hit pause. Right now, people are bleeding out. Your neighbors, your family, your friends, your coworkers, the people that you see walking in front of your house before 8 o'clock and after 5 a.m., people are bleeding out. And you know what's sad about all this? This is a really hard sermon. I just want to say it was a hard sermon to prepare. People are bleeding out, and we're okay with that. People are bleeding out, and we're okay with that. And do you know what the Lord wants to do? I think the Lord wants to uh, gently shake us awake. He wants to awaken us to the reality of what's going on. He wants us to come down into that mind shaft and plead with him on behalf of those who are bleeding out around us. So great. Good, Dwight. I'm glad that we're going to talk about prayer. What are you going to lead us into this morning? What are we supposed to be praying? Well, what's interesting is that Jesus did a lot of amazing things. Jesus healed, Jesus cast out demons, Jesus moved in power and authority. But do you know what his disciples asked him to do? Teach us how to pray. They didn't say, give us a homiletics course, teach us how to preach. We'd really love to bring home the gospel in this way, in this second point. No, no, no. Teach us how to pray. Because they saw the effective prayer of Jesus. Jesus would, was quietly confident in everything he did. Why? Jesus wasn't rushed. Jesus had thousands of people crowding around him, and he's like, all right, peace. I'm going to go to the next place, and I'm going to preach. And they're like, why? You could set up a ministry here. Thousands of people would be reached. He's like, but that's not why I came. He chose 12 people, one of them being a traitor, and he was at peace with that. Why? Because Jesus knew how to pray. Jesus knew how to pray. So if you have a Bible, which you should, and you can go in your house, wherever, to get it. Uh, in the book of Luke, New Testament, third book in, Jesus, and Jordan read this for us, but in verse 1, 
He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John also taught his disciples. And then in verse 2, he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. And that's really the verse that we're going to spend our time on this morning. Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Because if, if you understand this, this will change everything. And I don't mean understand intellectually like, okay, I memorized it, I got it. Theologically, I, I read all the big books. No, no, no. If, if you get this in your heart and this moves, you get almost everything. It's a pretty f- profound verse. Because Jesus starts out by saying, Father. He doesn't go and, and lay out this massive title. Oh, thouest highest and the mightiest, mayest thouest doest somethingest. He doesn't lay out this big long thing. He just says, Dad. Daddy. Jesus knew God the Father as Daddy. That type of intimacy. I don't know if you're comfortable, familiar with knowing God in that way. But this is how God wants to be addressed. He's not just God, but of of course he's God. He's Yahweh. He is the holy one to be revered. But yet he's also your dad. He's also your dad. We have the opportunity to do what Jesus did and run and escape and find places to be alone with him. We get the opportunity to be with our creator with our rescuer, with our father, with our friend, the one who is with us, the one who has all power and control and approval. That's who we get to be with. What keeps you from being with him? That's an intentional pause. What keeps you from being with him? You have someone that can actually change you and fix you and transform you and, and you binge watch Netflix. I should say we, right? Because we do these things. Or you might get proud and say, no, 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 I don't watch Netflix. Okay, what's your poison? I don't have time to go through all that. What is it that keeps you from engaging with him? And let me ask this question a different way. What is kept from us because we don't escape to be with our dad? What is kept from us because we don't engage him? Jesus says, you you don't have because you don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask. And prayerly isn't prayer. (laughs) Just mixing all, I'm really excited this morning. Prayer merely, prayer merely. It's not just asking for stuff. It's not just asking for stuff. It's receiving the attention and affection of your dad. Some of you long for your dad to say, I love you. I'm proud of you. I want to be with you. That's you longing to be approved of by by the true and heavenly father. And here's the thing. He is affectionate toward you. He's happy with your meandering and your rambling. Do you ever feel like you're in prayer if you've prayed? I'm assuming most people have. That you feel like you're just repeating yourself. You're not making a lot of sense. And maybe if you're praying in a group, you feel very awkward. But the Lord is just like, I'm so glad you're here. Just keep talking. Sometimes my kids will be telling me a story. And I'm like, okay, let's get to the point. And the Lord is like, no, no, your, your rambling is the point. I'm, I want you to be here. I want you to be with me. I want you to enjoy my presence. And I want you to be you in my presence. He's your dad. 
You know, when we think about God being holy, perfect, and your dad, you can think of a prime minister having kids. That when the kids go to the prime minister, they don't say, hey, prime minister, right? They say, dad, what's for dinner? Dad, where are we going on vacation? Dad, what are we going to be doing? Because their dad, who they can be affectionate with, has ridiculous amounts of power. This is what we have in our God. And he invites you. He invites you and I to barge into his office, into his study, into his room with business that's important to us. He invites you to Zoom bomb his calls. And you know what? He'll put people on pause while he deals with you and he addresses you. You have this dad who cares about you so much, who doesn't just want you to come with to him so that you feel better about yourself or you feel good about your religious life. He wants you to come to him because he's your dad. And as we spend time with him, Jesus says, Jesus says, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. As we spend time, he helps us to actually desire his kingdom come, not just the things that we want to take place. And when his kingdom comes and it starts to take over our desires and our lives, everything is going to change. Everything's going to change. Because if you want his kingdom above all, you're going to learn to love losing what you had. I'll say that again. If his kingdom starts to come over yours, you will learn to love losing the things you have because what you're receiving is so much better. John the baptizer was kind of a freak. Um, he was Jesus' cousin. We celebrate that in Quebec on June 24th. And um, John the baptizer was out in the wilderness, dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and honey. He was, he was pretty much unknown until a specific time. And then he started preaching. And he started declaring, and all these people, in fact, it said all Israel was coming to him to hear him. And he had all these disciples. But then when Jesus enters the scene, John's ministry starts to fade away. John's disciples start going after Jesus. And they come to John and they say, John, you're losing your business. Everyone is leaving. All your disciples, they're going. What you thought your future was looking like is, is walking away. And he says, I need to decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. John was like, I love losing everything I've had because Jesus is here and he's so much better. And he can do with my disciples what I could never do with them on my own. You see, that sounds really great, doesn't it? But then when, when we hit the road, when rubber hits the road, this is painful. Because the things that you thought, your, your images, your ideas of what life was going to look like, they have the potential of fading away. You see, his coming is going to, not it might, his kingdom is going to disrupt all your plans. And it is going to dismantle your little kingdoms like I dismantle my children's Legos creations before they go to bed. And when your heart is underneath his kingdom and you want that to happen, you're so pleased with it because you're like, yes, this dismantling is happening because something better is coming. We can look at crisis and chaos kind of with, with twiddling our thumbs, waiting, what is God doing? When we can't see what's happening, what is God doing? But if we begin to pray this way, if we begin to pray for hearts like John the baptizer, would you please increase so that we can decrease? Things are going to get messy very quickly. 
we're inviting problems into our lives because the kingdom of God is not nice and neat and fancy and quaint. It's really messy. You might have an idea of what revival looks like and it probably looks like a room full of people that look just like you and believe things that you believe. Like everything. And probably revival is going to look like when we can actually be in one another's homes. People being in your homes that you would never choose to be in your home. Having to stay up late. Having to go and help people out of their problems that they've gotten themselves into. Because they don't yet fully understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But they love him. It's going to wreck your plans. All your nice Google Calendar. My Google Calendar looks really nice. All color-coded and everything. I know which priority I move to. When kingdom comes in power in Montreal, I know that Google is going to be disrupted. My Google is going to be disrupted at least. That I'm going to have to take all those plans and move them aside and say, revival is here. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? My calendar is your calendar. My calendar must decrease so that your calendar increases. This is what happens when kingdom of God comes in power. And this is a really good idea. Because this is the only kingdom that's actually going to last. Your ideas, your plans, your RRSP, not going to last. It can't last. But his kingdom has no end. And his kingdom coming into Montreal is a collision with the kingdom of this world. Which is the opposite. So if you begin praying this stuff, get ready because it's going to mess you up. And it's going to mess you up in all the right ways. Now. We need to know that we can't bring God's kingdom here on our own. You need to know this. You can get excited. You can get all like, yeah, let's do it. But you can't do it. This is the frustrating part. It's like, yeah, I want to respond in this way. I want to be excited. I want to do something. Let's look at how it actually comes. His kingdom only comes by him bringing it. Your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. His kingdom doesn't come in a moment of bravery or inspiration. It comes in constant dependence on him. Our inability, our helplessness, and powerlessness should keep us coming back to him. You see, when we're praying, we find out that we're poor in spirit. When you're in times of prayer, you shouldn't feel really great about yourself. Because you're not praying to yourself. You're praying to someone that's, you're saying, I don't have what it takes. And I'm coming to you because you do. And prayer is showing up time and time again in prayer, in his presence to say, I'm unable. I'm unable. When Jesus changes water into wine, Mary, his mom, comes and says, they've run out of wine. He's like, well, what, is, what does that have to do with me? What has everything to do with me? Mary's coming to Jesus with her inability. I can't do anything about this. We can't do anything about this. There's no wine. You need to do something about this. You're the only one that can do something about this issue. And this is what prayer really is. And I'm not talking about praying for the stuff you need. Lord, please give me that Xbox subscription. Lord, please give me that job. Lord, please heal up my foot so I can do this thing. Lord, those, are, those aren't bad prayers. But this isn't the type of kingdom breaking in type of prayers that I'm talking about. I'm speaking about the standing in the gap type of prayer. The Old Testament is full of this language, looking for people to stand in the gap. Like there's a breach in the wall and who's going to stand there and not let enemy forces come in? Who's going to be the one to say, I'll lose sleep, I'll lose 
life if that's what it takes, to be the one that stands in the gap so that the enemy can't come and destroy our city. This is the type of prayer that we're talking about. This is the type of series that we are in. So this is praying for change and revival. And these are the types of things that we're going to pray for. Lord, would you touch our city and province in a massive way that we never could? Great. Lord, would you cause for people to cling to us and ask us how to meet the Lord? Let me read you a verse. This is a very obscure verse in Zechariah, uh, one of the prophets. And it's uh, toward the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 8. Verse 23, the Lord of armies says this, in those days, 10 men from nations of every language will grab the robe of a Jewish man tightly urging, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. When revival breaks into a place, when the kingdom of God breaks in, people start grabbing onto you saying, we heard that God is with us, take us with you. You're like, what is going on? That's the stuff that God does. Read about the accounts of the revivals, which we'll be talking about during the sermon series. Crazy things start to happen. People start to call on the Lord, Joel says in Joel 2, verse 32. People begin receiving new gifts. We're going to do a sermon series on the spiritual gifts. We plan to start that actually now, but we're pushing that to later. But people start receiving gifts, which means that everyone is needed. Everyone's responsibility is to be praying for this type of thing. It's not just a few. This is everyone. When revival comes, people are going to be full of the Spirit of God. Churches are going to be growing and multiplying. Uh, justice is going to come and sweep through our midst like a river. When revival comes, there's not going to be a need among us. When revival comes, there's going to be an awakening to the voice of God over the city and over the province. People are going to start to know what the voice of God sounds like here. We're not going to be sitting in government meetings. We all know what the leaders of Quebec sound like because we hear them all the time. Now we know what the alert sounds like when it comes on our phone at 6.30 at night. But people are going to be hearing the voice of God in Montreal and it'll be a sweet sound to their ears. We're going to pray prayers for kingdoms to be overtaken by the kingdom of God. This is God's heart. Now, do you starve for this? Do you starve for this? In Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. This isn't like a mid-afternoon kind of like, my belly's kind of hungry. Get a little growl. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are starving. And, and fainting for righteousness, for they will be filled. Are you starving for righteousness to come in our city? Are you starving for righteousness to break in to our province? Do you want his kingdom to bowl its way in in this way? And if not, what are you afraid of? What are you so afraid of? Why do you think that your idea of a kingdom is better than his idea? Why are your prayers so focused on you when your neighbor's bleeding out? And I'm not even calling us to action to go and speak to them, but speak about them to the only one who can do something about them. 
Are we starving for this? I will say my soul has become so disturbed for me. Over the past few months, I've seen that my soul has been coasting more toward ease and comfort. And the Lord said, wake up. Wake up, Dwight. What I want to do with you is so much different than what you want to do with yourselves. Because left to ourselves, what do we do? We gravitate toward ease and comfort. You're like, no, 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 I'm an adventurer. Great. But that's comfortable to you. We go towards what our kingdom would be like. And the Lord is saying, I want to pull you out of that and bring you into what my kingdom is going to be like. And the Lord has said, Dwight, I've filled you with my spirit so that you can be spent out. Most of you, most of us, we get to the end of the day and we're like, oh, I have nothing left to give. It's like, why don't we return back to the one who has everything to fill us with again, even at like seven, eight, nine, ten at night? Just because you made it through the day doesn't mean that his resources are depleted. You can plug back in. I got this great gift for Christmas. It's this battery that you, you charge up and it can charge your phone like eight or nine, ten times. I don't know. But at any time, you're just like, oh, my phone is almost dead. Boom, I don't need a wall. I don't need an outlet. I can be in the car. Boom, done. This is what the Lord is doing. And he says, well, why did you ever unplug anyway? Right? Just, just stay plugged in. Just stay plugged in to me. And I've been disturbed because I, I think that our, not speaking for all of us in our church, but our, our church could be in just a survival mode. How do we just survive? How do we just make budget? How do we just make it through the day? Do you know what the Lord says? That you are more than conquerors. You're like, no, I make it till about 8 p.m. and then I'm sleepy. You are more than conquerors. The Lord is saying, I want to send you and cause you to do all kinds of crazy things that if I told you what they were now, you wouldn't believe me. But when you, when you get filled up with my spirit, look out. And then I'll give you the faith to be able to believe that I'm actually doing this thing. One of the ways that major changes have happened all throughout history is that God's people have said, enough, enough. I'm not going to let this go on anymore. No longer is Montreal going to be the type of city that it is. Now, we're not going to scrap its beauty and its wonder and the amazing things that we love about the city and that can be redeemed. But we are going to be the ones that stand in the gap. We're going to be the ones that lose sleep. We're going to be the ones that that go hungry. We're going to be the ones that lose our reputation because we're going to be the ones that stand in the gap. And it doesn't take a lot of people. When we see Pentecost happening in the book of Acts and all these people come to know Jesus, how many people were gathered in one place? 120. Took 120 people being united in prayer and in faith saying, you do whatever you want. Like, we don't even know what the Holy Spirit's going to be like when he comes. You do whatever you want. And I would say, Church 21, this is our hour of prayer. This is our hour of prayer. This is the time where defiant faith believes what we can't see. Defiant faith believes what we can't see. So do you believe, all right? Stay with me. Do you believe that you are invited to partner in God's effort to overthrow darkness? That's what you're being invited into. Will you stand in the gap for our city and our province? And I'll just say, this isn't going to be this nice, like, kumbaya, I feel really warm inside moment. 
this is going to feel lonely. You're going to get up at 5 in the morning, 6 in the morning, 7 in the morning. I don't know what early morning is for you. You're going to get up, and you're not going to feel all the feelings. You're not going to feel inspired. You're not even going to feel like praying. And you're going to say, well, it's not authentic for me to pray unless I feel like it. And I'm like, you don't understand what authenticity is. Authenticity is doing what you don't feel like doing because it's the right thing to do. That means you get up, you get out of bed, you get coffee, you take a shower, you do whatever you need to do, and then you start pleading for our city. You start pleading for our church. You start pleading for your family. You start pleading on behalf of others. Yes, God knows your needs, and your needs are real. But Christianity isn't just about a community being built around us so that they can take care of us. It's about us taking care of one another. We're the body. We're the body. These questions started coming to mind. Questions like, who will relinquish control over sleep, food, entertainment to plead with me? As I'm writing this sermon, Dwight, who will relinquish control in Church 21 over sleep, over food, over entertainment to plead with me on behalf of Montreal, to plead on behalf of Church 21, that that renewal and revival would come now. Do you know what? Uh, We were actually talking about this before we started the service, that um, when COVID started happening, um, no one really knew anyone who had COVID. It was like, uh, is this a make-believe thing? I mean, we know it's real, because like it's there's statistics and it's happening, but you don't really know anyone. And now, in a very short amount of time, less than a year, we know people. It's like one degree of separation from this virus. It moves really quickly. If a biological thing can move that fast, imagine what a spiritual thing can do. When the Spirit of God moves, it moves so much quicker than COVID ever could. And there's no inoculations or vaccines against it. It's like, okay, now we need to snuff out all communications about the gospel. Let's put it all underground. You can't talk about Jesus publicly. It's like, oh, this is going to be good because this is when the spirit really thrives, right? So we don't need to worry about these things. We can fight for these things. We should have rights to meet, all those things. Like, that's good. That's not bad. But I'm just saying we don't need to fear. We don't need to fear. In fact, Paul tells Timothy, we don't have a spirit of fear, but of power. Power. And when God's power is moving, nothing can stand against it. Leonard Ravenhill, I've read two of his books over the past two days. Oh my goodness. Read Leonard Ravenhill. He says, a true spirit-praying person will have much of his domestic life shattered. A true spirit-praying person will have much of his domestic life shattered. Then he goes on to say, we want big blessing for small installments. The birth of revival, but not pain of the birth. Sometime, I hope we're going to get sick of playing church and get so angry at our birth poverty in the soul realm that we too will sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, and seek the face of our Lord. This guy died in the mid-90s, so it's not like he's speaking into our situation, but he is, isn't he? I hope we're going to get sick of playing church. And get so angry at our birth poverty in the soul realm that we too will sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, and seek the face of the Lord. We need 
the power of the Spirit of God. Spirit, we need you. Without this, this is all just play. And here's the thing, the Spirit is, is active and moving where you are right now. And you say, I'm weak, and I'm like, oh, it's such a good place to be because His power is available for you. Oh, I don't know how to speak. That's beautiful because the Spirit actually created language, and He's going to work through you. But I don't have a lot of knowledge. That's wonderful because great revivals are happening in places where people can't read. You're in a perfect place if you're feeling like you're weak. But if you're proud, you're in a great place too because the Spirit's going to break that down. Say, Spirit, would you topple my pride? So here's how we're responding to all this. We're responding by, by entering into a month of prayer and fasting. We had really great plans up until Thursday. Uh, who was it? Mike Tyson said, we all have... We all have plans until you get punched in the face, right? It's like, it's all good until someone actually pops you. Then all those plans go out. But we're responding to this, not on the defense, but on the offense. We're going to take a month of prayer and fasting. And you might not feel like you know how to do either, pray or, or fast, and that's okay. You don't need to enter into this as professionals, but enter in as children, eager, eager to take part. So here's what fasting is. I'm going to be very brief in this. Fasting is going without something in order to be awakened to a new reality. Going without something in order to be awakened to a new reality. So if you go without food for long enough, what are you going to be awakened to? The fact that you are hungry. And then when you get hungry, do you know what you do? You use that as an opportunity to to pray and say, Lord, make me more hungry for you. Or Lord, I'm reminded by my hunger that our city is bleeding out and is spiritually impoverished impoverished and famished, would you feed my city? And I'm going to fast. Every, I don't know, every week, every day, I don't know how long your fast or what the Lord wants to do with you in this. But I just want to let you know that your fasting doesn't earn God either. Some of you might think, oh, okay, if I fast, God will love me more. No, 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 no. You go into fasting beloved. Your fasting isn't earning more from him. It's getting more of him. All my kids are my kids. I have four of them. But if one of my kids says, Daddy, I don't want to spend any time with you today, and one of them says, I want to spend time with you, that one who wants to spend time with me is going to get more of me. And so God is saying, I want you to get a whole new side of who I am by fasting. Maybe this is food, but for some of you, that's not possible. Maybe it's technology. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's alcohol. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but what will it take to awake your soul? What is it that that gives your soul that peace and comfort that the Lord is actually supposed to give you? Fast from that. People are bleeding out, and we have access to blood and the one that can heal. But do we want to? This This is really where it's hard, isn't it? Do we actually want to? We like the information. We like knowing about fasting. We like reading books on prayer. But do we actually want to? And I would say maybe fasting is really for you. That you begin fasting and say, Lord, I don't want this. I don't, I don't really care about my neighbors. I don't care about the city. So I'm going to fast that you would actually cause me to care. Ask the Lord to keep you up at night. Ask the Lord to keep you up at night. Wake me up in the middle of the night and give me a desire to love people. He will. I'm sure of it. 
Now, as a church, we're going to have Wednesday be our, our day of fasting. You can choose whatever day you want, but there's going to be uh, many of us fasting on that day. And again, you don't have to do food. But Wednesday is so beautiful because we start out Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. with prayer. And I would say we've maxed out with like 15, 16 people on prayer uh, on Wednesday morning. And uh, I think our Zoom account allows 250 people. So if you've been worried about uh, maxing us out and that's why you haven't joined, well, we have lots of room. So don't worry about that. You can just join us this Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. So fasting and then prayer. Prayer, it's authentic. I said this before, but it's authentic to pray when you don't feel like it. And what we've done, uh, Jordan worked really hard over the past couple of days to put together a prayer guide. Uh, we're going to drop that into the uh, discussion box on Church 21 website and on Facebook. And so it's a Google um, document that you can access. We might be updating that throughout the month as we get better uh, at this. But it's meant to guide you. And it's something that our whole church is now praying for. So instead of just like a few of us praying for random things, it's like 200 people praying together for these things. And maybe more, invite more. It doesn't just have to be a Church 21 thing. But I would also encourage you to pray together. We do Wednesday morning, 7 a.m., but if you're like, oh, I'd rather do Thursday at 3 in the afternoon, great, let us know. We'll let other people know that you're praying at that time and that they can join your Zoom call. This doesn't have to be an organizational thing from the top to the bottom. This is a spirit-led thing. Now, I'll end with this. You might be thinking that, well, all this sounds like it's just for really strong Christians. All this sounds like it's really for people who are really devout and been doing this for a long time. Well, Paul Miller in his book on prayer says, strong Christians pray more because they know how weak they are. So to be a strong Christian really is a juxtaposition in a sense. Because they would say, oh no, I'm, I'm weak. I'm the weakest. I'm not strong at all. But I, I know who is. And so I give more and more of my time and my life to him. Your identity, we've talked a lot about prayer and fasting, but your identity is not in prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting allows us to get at our dad and to engage with him, but your identity is found in the work of Jesus. Let me read this this lengthy uh, quote by Paul Miller. He says, the gospel, God's free gift of grace in Jesus only works when we realize that we don't have it all together. And the same is true for prayer. The very thing that we're allergic to, our helplessness, is what makes prayer work. It works because we are helpless. We can't do life on our own. And prayer mirrors the gospel. In the gospel, the Father takes us as we are because of Jesus and gives us his gift of salvation. In prayer, the Father receives us as we are because of Jesus and gives us his gift of help. We look at the inadequacy of our praying and give up, thinking something is wrong with us. But God looks at the adequacy of his son and he delights in our sloppy, meandering prayers. God isn't impressed with you because of what you do. He's impressed with who you are because of what Jesus has done for you. And Jesus is praying for you to understand this. So are you a follower of Jesus? I don't mean on on Twitter or Facebook or TikTok. Are you a true follower of Jesus? Meaning that I have given my life to him. Like I am helpless. I am sinful. I, I am an enemy of God. And I need Jesus. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, right 
now you can be. And I don't want to make this too light. This is going to cost you everything. This means you have to bring all your baggage, all your pride, all your sin, all your everything, all your ideas, your ambitions, and you need to drop it off at the cross and say, Jesus, would you take this? And then Jesus is going to say, I would love to give you my forgiveness. And he'll give it to you. But then he's going to be Lord of your life. This means that you're not in charge of your life anymore. And even the places that you were leading your life, though you thought it was best, ultimately won't be best because where he's leading us is best. And so we get a better leader. We get forgiveness, we get his spirit, and we get a better leader that's leading us into eternal life. And if you want to become a follower of Jesus right now, you can. And I'm going to plead with you. You need this. You need this. There's no other option. There's no other option. I would love to meet with you. Zoom, of course. But I would love to meet with you to discuss the other options that you're thinking through. Because there's no other option than submitting your life to him. Don't wait on it. Don't wait on it. The spirit will enter you today. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then let the Spirit infiltrate your hearts with gospel dynamite. Let this stuff blow up and be exciting and think about, man, I get to lose sleep to plead for my city. This is going to be amazing. I get to lose food this week to plead for my neighbors to understand who Jesus is. This is going to be great. I get to lose out on benefits so that other people can benefit from eternal benefits. This is going to be amazing. This is what the gospel does. We don't see what we're missing out on. We see that we have everything, and so we get to now give things away. So God is inviting us to plead with him to bring your kingdom here. Let me burn out for God. Let me burn out for God. After all, whatever God may appoint, prayer is the great thing. Oh, that I may be a man of prayer said Henry Martin. I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond. God, who, who could ever ascend your hill to pray? Oh my goodness, not me. Lord, who has the audacity to come to you and say, bring your kingdom here? Oh, not me. Not us. But because of what Jesus has done, we have full entrance into the throne room, into the war room, into the place where where your eternal plans have been fashioned and are being worked out. And so we come saying, God, now please bring your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Overwhelm us with your spirit. Cause us to overflow with your spirit and do that for the good of our city. Do that now. We're we're anxious for this to happen now because we don't want for people to go a day longer without knowing you. Would you please cause for what happened in Zechariah 8 to happen now where people are pleading, please tell us how to meet the Lord. You know him, tell us about him. Lord, bring revival. Let's start with us. Would you be speaking of what you want for us as a church to do? and for us as individuals. We love you and we need you. We're excited for the power that you have. Thank you that you're not going to leave us alone in this. Amen.